Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric up there. Hello. That is Vanessa up there. Hello. I'm Kelly. Hey, gang. Uh, I spent all morning stuffing envelopes of book four (laughs) of The Secret Language of Spiders and for the 33 of you who signed up for that uh, monthly release, I think you're going to really enjoy this one. It is a it is a shorter book this time, a shorter chapter, but it comes with a lot of really groovy extras that I think everybody who's been reading the story is going to really enjoy. And if you missed out on that, um, the novel gets released in June. In fact, Vanessa, you'll love this here. It says right there, uh, available... Ah! June twenty fifth, twenty four. Now that is my birthday, and I don't, uh, I don't like celebrating birthdays, <laughs> as you know. But I do like this idea of celebrating accomplishments, and I decided to have the novel come out on my birthday so I could actually have something to celebrate with people. Aww. And that way, when they say happy birthday, I'm just going to pretend they're talking to my book, and I will be able to say <laughs> thank you. It's this first. My book appreciates it. <laughs> So That's yeah, awesome. I, I can't believe how uh, how smoothly this monthly thing has gone. Uh, everybody has paid up when the invoice goes out. I've managed to keep everybody's numbers straight. I've managed <laughs> to do everything the way I hoped it would go. Now, having said all that, I will never fucking attempt anything like this again. It is a tremendous amount of work, and it actually keeps me away from writing which was the entire oh, point sure. of doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. But a fun experiment, and I'm really, really excited for the novel to be out. Uh, I let a guy that I see at my wine club take home a copy of it, and he's fallen in love with it, and it was probably the worst thing I could have ever done because now he's trying to set up like um, book signings and stuff like that at local bookstores and i was like no i have seen too many of my friends i've seen too many new york times best-selling authors just sitting there and nobody coming to get their books i am certainly not going to do that with my book uh that being said if you decide you want my book signed i'm sure you can reach out to me and i will autograph it and and sell it to you for the price you can get it on amazon so i just can't get past you saying that you're in a wine club (laughs) My brain kind of stopped there. <laughs> well, we all get together every week and we just complain. <laughs> <laughs> complain about all the bad wines. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Okay. My brain is not uh, has not had enough sleep to uh, be up to speed with anything clever you're going to say. Oh, uh, that wasn't exactly <laughs> clever. I won't give myself that one. But oh, yeah. yeah, I'm in a wine club. This should be a surprise to no one. I fucking love wine. And it doesn't hurt that my friend is the owner of the shop. So that's where I've written most of the novel. So, of course, uh, I Aww. have to donate one to the shop as soon as it comes out. That's awesome. So. Put it in a place um, of honor. Okay, guys. Yeah, I'm gonna have to put it on a uh, a little a little standy right up there. <laughs> they uh, they introduced me to somebody as the resident writer, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know. There, I've had friends who are like resident writer in Germany and stuff like that, and and I am a resident writer at this wine bar. Uh, speaking of that, I saw a movie <laughs> that Uh-oh. really really spoke to me. <laughs> uh, from 1987, I watched Barfly with uh, Mickey oh, Rourke geez. and oh. – uh, God, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, 
Doesn't matter. Um, I remember when this movie came out. Now this is written by Charles Bukowski and it's kind of based on his life. And it's about an alcoholic writer who just goes from bar to bar. He writes there. He meets chicks. He uh, gets in fights. And when I was 17 when this movie came out, I thought, why would I want to watch anything like that? (laughs) And uh, now as I'm living that life, I found a lot of things to really kind of scrutinize in my own life and say, maybe... Maybe you should be writing, you know, at the library, Kelly, or at a coffee shop. <laughs> but I don't like books and I don't like uh, coffee. You don't so like books? the wine shop it is for me. But I found Barfly. <laughs> no, I hate him. Um, I found Barfly on Tubi. And I don't know, have you guys ever seen this one? Eric, I know you would really dig this. Vanessa, you'd probably be horrified to learn that this is what my life is like. <laughs> <laughs> I've not come across this, no. You forget how <laughs> handsome he was and what mm-hmm. a fucking amazing actor he was. And uh, and then, you know, whatever happened to him happened. He went a little nutty, uh, much like Bukowski did. So, mm. I don't know. A really good movie, though, Barfly. Mm. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I don't think I've ever uh, seen not washed up Mickey Rourke. I've only ever known (laughs) Mickey Rourke in his uh, end years. So uh, the idea that he was ever handsome or uh, talented is a little to me. Well, this is also maybe not the best one to see him that way because uh, he starts the movie getting in a pretty bad fight. And so he's got a a scab on his lip and a black eye through most of the movie. (laughs) No, I'm okay. I'll I'll skip that one. Um, (laughs) Well, like I said uh, last week, I've had a lot of time um, in my nighttime shifts to watch all kinds of crap. Um, I'm not going to talk about the four seasons of This Is Us that I have sped through. uh, Oh, my. I will not. I know. I just needed some trash. (laughs) And man, did it qualify. Oh, Um, okay. But that's okay. Um. I would like to talk about, however, a little documentary that just dropped on Netflix, um, three episode doc, which seems to be something that Netflix is doing more and more. Um, American Nightmare. Yeah, I watched that. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting. It kind of begins this premise of, hey, there's this uh, thing that happened where a guy and his girlfriend were um, hanging out and she got abducted. And um, his story sounds really far fetched, but then she starts appearing on these like surveillance um, uh, cameras and it's like, okay, did she pull a gone girl? And so that's the premise they set you up with. And then they take you on the actual ride of what really happened. And it is fucking wild. It's like, okay, I did not see that being what occurred and um it's it's a pretty fun watch if you're into true crime um or really fascinated in those stories that there's you know a big news cycle on something and then later um you find out what the truth of it is um <laughs> it's pretty fun pretty cool watch yeah so. it's really good it's really good well so um I'm guessing at the beginning of this, the cops think, oh, she's disappeared. The guy says she's been kidnapped. The cops think he killed her or something. Yes, 100%. And, and then are we led to believe that maybe she um, set up the kidnapping to get away from her? Yes. What? There's, I got to watch this. It's, yeah, yeah. So the first couple episodes, you know, they're really telling you what, where everyone's mindset is at those moments because they show you a lot of his testimony of what happened and he's like, these this dude came in and he there were lasers and he was you know in a wetsuit and they drugged me on NyQuil and like there it sounds very far-fetched and then you're the next part where you get a little bit about the girl and it sounds very much like oh shit maybe she was fucking with him maybe you know is this a revenge thing is this a money thing you know what's going on here Um, and yeah, they really string you along with like how the news cycle portrayed everything along the way, which is really interesting. And then I think it's the third episode where you find out what actually happened. So I'm putting this on the list. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Well worth it. Definitely good fodder. Good 
oh my god, I can't sleep because I'm holding an infant fodder. So <laughs> go out there and check it out. I saw one called uh, 68 Kill, which is on AMC Plus, uh, 2B, ah. and for rent from a few places. Uh, I wasn't sure about this one, but uh, it was from a guy I talked about a movie of his before, Matthew Gray Gubler, Gubler from Criminal Minds. And uh, it was weird <laughs> but it's very much kind of a uh he's they're trying to commit crimes and he's terrible at it and it keeps escalating because his girlfriend keeps pushing things and making things escalating the violence and making it worse and making him more upset with what's going on and it's just a, a nighttime series of that kind of stuff that happens i think it happens like over two days it has a lot of notes of those films that followed Pulp Fiction, you know, the California with a K kind of movies and Freeway and stuff like that. Reminded me a lot of that and uh, pretty fun. Lots of humor, some good, vi some strange violence. And uh, overall, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by 68 Kill. <laughs> um, is that a recent movie? Yeah. Yeah, I believe it's, I think it was last year. No, no, it's older. 2017. Oh, it's it's kind of neat when you see those old movies that are, are not old movies, but these newer movies, because, you know, in the 90s, we got a lot of of uh, California and yeah. uh, shit like that. And it's kind of neat to see those pop up every once in a while again. Yeah. Let's see, which one am I going to talk about? I talk. I saw a bunch of stuff, too, uh, and I like both of these. I think I'm going to talk about Destroy All Neighbors. Ah, I've seen this. You guys, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, was this what you were going to talk about next, Eric? No. Oh, okay, because I could, I could do my other one. Um, Destroy All Neighbors, Jonah Ray on uh, Shudder is uh, a whole lot of fun. Yeah. It's goofy. Uh, Alex Winter is unrecognizable. When I saw his name pop oh, up no. in the movie, I was like, what part did he play? Uh, basically the lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. He Whoa. Is, he's, he's different looking. He's so covered in, in prosthetics and everything. And it's about um, a guy and his uh, girlfriend who live in an apartment complex. And it's kind of a dumpy apartment complex. And this neighbor from hell moves in next door and proceeds to make his life just miserable. And then in a, uh, in a weird moment, he accidentally kills the neighbor. And, uh, but he doesn't stay dead. And, <laughs> and that's where the fun comes from. Because this guy is some kind of supernatural creature who has decided to really make uh, this, this normal guy's life miserable. And it's, I don't know, it's all practical effects. Some of them work. Some of them do not. You can yeah. see the seams on a lot of these effects. But because it's done with such a love for the practical horror genre, I, I was able to let go of all this stupid stuff that I would normally be like rolling my eyes at and had a really good time with it. Eric, you felt the same? It is a bone bat film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a flat out bone bat film. It could be shown there. No problem. Yeah. Destroy All Neighbors. It's on uh, Shudder. Nice. Um, well, uh, I guess I will talk about the other true to true crime. No, not true crime at all. The, <laughs> the other Netflix multi-part documentary series that I ended up watching, which I think has been in my queue for a long time. And I finally went ahead and checked it out. Um, Depp v. Heard or Heard v. Depp. Oh, um, right. Boy, yeah, you are it, getting it, into it, the trash. <laughs> no kidding. Um, so this was uh, about the trial surrounding Amanda Heard and Johnny ah. Depp. Yes. Jeez. And yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, so I had not that long ago uh, for the New Year's Eve rung it in with um, watching Aquaman. And I was really fascinated by how it was clear that at various points they had ripped her completely out of the film and then added her back in. And I was trying to kind of work out like what had happened with her reputation and how people were kind of perceiving her at this point. And um, 
Yeah, I think that this was helpful for that. Um, those are two people that I should, I don't want to, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of people who during this trial were like, yeah, like Johnny Depp, he's a good dude and you're just a horrible lady trying to slam him. And other people who are like, she's being, you know, assaulted again and again because she was already assaulted by him once and now she is through the press. And it's, it was really got to the point where I was like, this is murky and I was not there. I don't know. This is not my business. I do not want to be involved in this situation. Um, but watching this documentary was really helpful to kind of see the perception of how it played out and nobody comes out good. Um, <laughs> there you which go. Is, <laughs> which is great because I feel like that's accurate to real life. Like it, there is no one who is like the hero. There's no one who's in the right. Everyone's they're both two actors who are on a stand that is being televised and they know that they have to win public favor and continue to have their jobs and continue to have their reputation. And so there are moments with both of them where you're like, you are fucking acting right now because they, they can't help it. That's what they are. That's what they do. That That is literally how they go through life. Um, so there's definitely moments where you're like, this is just a lot of bullshit. Um, and these are both people who are very troubled who should not be together. And I'm glad they're not together anymore. So there you go. Remind me, was the trial, uh, did she, was she suing him for assault? And he then was suing, He was suing her for defamation. And then she had a countersuit on him for defamation back, I believe. Because um, initially she had written an op-op op-ed in a uh, magazine or a newspaper about um, him assaulting her and like during the Me Too movement. And so he was suing her because he was trying to defend his name, uh, but he decided to do so in Virginia, not in California where they're from and not in uh, D.C. where the um, Washington Post article came out. No, no, Virginia, because that is where they have the strongest um, defamation suits available that you can do so uh yeah it's just a bunch of bullshit <laughs> did it change your perception on either of them it did a little bit i think i had been initially i had been like oh depp is innocent and like this all turned out not to be true because much like everyone else i was like yeah johnny depp like he's an interesting actor and then while it was happening, I was like, actually, this Amanda Heard stuff sounds pretty brutal. And she does sound like she's telling the truth about some of these incidents. And she seems to have some proof. So fuck, uh, man, that sucks for her. And I was a little more on her side. And then watching this, I was like, they, they both probably fucked each other up pretty bad. Uh, he may have fucked her up worse. And she may be not always 100% telling the truth about everything that happened. But fuck, like neither of these people are good people. We Yeah, that's how it goes. Hollywood. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, okay. So let's get about as far away from that as we can, can in this regional horror movie release from Severin called Raiders of the Living Dead. Oh. Uh, this was directed by the Starring producer. Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Uh, hmm. Role of a lifetime. Nope. <laughs> It was directed by the producer of several Al Adamson films. So you know where you're starting out there. Uh, crazy silly effects. Uh, super low budget. This is also like a movie from last week. This is a 1986 film. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, I immediately sent a message to Mike DeBronzo going, Have you seen this one? Because <laughs> if not, you need to. Um, but, of course, since it's a very new release from Severin, it's been pulled from YouTube and it's not available yet in streaming. But after they've been out for a little while, they always do their streaming things, kind of like the I Like Bats was a Severin release, but now is available all over the place. It'll it'll get there eventually. But um, if you're so inclined to go, you know that Al Adamson, he did some good movies. <laughs> you would like this. otherwise. Give it a wide berth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I like that you and DeBronzo are just trading <laughs> the worst movies you can find. That's right. <laughs> it's like, oh, this movie was awful. I should see if DeBronzo's seen it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But it's fun. It's it's watchable. The effects are hilarious. The effects are this kid builds a laser out of a laser disc player that like shoots his hamster and the next shot of the hamster is just this scalding thing with a little bit of fur on it. <laughs> but uh and the, the effects were done by taking the thirty-five millimeter film and scratching it. So he just scratched it with a thumbtack and it made these little black and white marks. So that that gives you an idea of where you're where you're headed at with this film. So it's fun. Where does the uh, Raiders of the Living Dead title come from? Then They're, I assumed this was going to be kind of a a Raiders ripoff, not More like a zombie film. Not it's a little bit of a zombie film, definitely a zombie movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. They kind of go on a quest to stop them. I guess you could say. My guess is they were just borrowing the title from. A fairly popular movie at that time. <laughs> so that's that is also very Al Adamson. Okay, Raiders of the Living Dead, and that's not streaming. You got that on your yeah, not yet, but it it'll show up probably in a couple months. Cool. Well, with that, why don't we take a little bit of a break, and then uh, when we come back, we are talking vampires again. Shocker. vampires again because this is fanguary thank you michael de bronzo cheers and uh eric you want to start us off with your vampire pick Certainly. 10 minutes thank you well <laughs> uncle was a vampire <laughs> la libertà e cos'è se uno ha una para And of course, it was a very important point to Lee. Yes. Not as, not as we've indicated. Yeah. Not. I am not, not going Dracula. to play Dracula. The horror film as a broad genre, and the Dracula character in particular, is of course ripe for parody. Wow. <laughs> 1959. This one is my first one in a few weeks with any kind of Rotten Tomatoes rating, almost. I think it's got uh, no critics, though, but a 33 from the audience. No idea of budget. No idea of box office. It is part of my continuing line of Severin releases. This mm-hmm. is from box set Which... two of the Euro Crypt of Christopher Lee. Ooh. Oh, man, that sounds fun. Yeah. That does sound fun. Yeah, I've got two of them. They're both pretty cool. Um, this, But this, also, it, <clears throat> this is also available on Tubi or for rent right now. This was directed by Steno. S-T-E-N-O. Uh, hmm. He also directed Banana Joe, Flatfoot in Egypt, Dr. Jekyll Likes Them Hot, and uh. no one will notice you're naked. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, written by Anna Joe. <laughs> written by Eduardo Anton, who wrote Robin Hood and the Pirates. Also, this has four writers on it. Uh, Mario Chichi Gori, who wrote produced 173 movies. 
and also wrote The Third Solution. Uh, Marcello Fondato, who wrote The Immortal Bachelor, Watch Out, We're Mad, and Blood and Black Lace. Fairly famous one there. And also written by Steno. Got 125 credits as, I think, an actor from Musketeers of the Sea, The Unfaithful, <laughs> starring Renato Rascal, who's in Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Pinocchio, like a 70s one, I think, uh, Transplant. Also, Silvia Coschino, who is in Hercules, Hornet's Nest, The Man in Istanbul, and has done 124 films. Uh, Leo Zopelli, who's in The Corsican Brothers and The Shortest Day, and Christopher Lee. I'm not going to insult you by trying to tell you titles you need to know to know who that is. <laughs> Fair. So this starts out in a Carpathian castle, as it's labeled, and a uh, bunch of workers are coming up to the castle. A bunch of workers are coming up to the castle thinking it's abandoned, but suddenly a black carriage with four horses pulling it comes running out the gate and just runs into the woods to get away. I'm not entirely certain why. That's just how it starts. <laughs> a coffin is brought to the ship to a shipping company, um, which lets, lets you know right away that this is going to be kind of a strange humored movie when he describes to the guy all the things that cannot be done with the coffin or to the box. You can't tell it's a coffin. It's like, you know, just goes on a laundry list of don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's like, okay, I got it, thanks. Then we cut to a blonde woman singing in a garden while trimming the flowers. And she sings like a whole song. This isn't a musical, <laughs> but this scene is a musical. <laughs> then they go into the a hotel where the guy who is watching her sing is losing his hotel. He's selling it to some people. And they're hiring him back on to be a bellhop. And he takes the job. So <laughs> good times for him. Uh, after that, next few scenes, we get the setup of a show like this, where you've got, here are the people that work at the hotel. Here are the people that's staying at the hotel. Here's what they think they're there for. Here's what they're really, there. you know, just a whole setup of all the characters very quickly and kind of clumsily. You find out, though, when Christopher Lee arrives, that he has an uncle coming. The bellhop has an uncle that'll be arriving. Can you guess who his uncle is? <laughs> well, it's a vampire. He, when he first meets Chris Frilly, scares the shit out of him. So he's very much like, okay, I don't want this uncle. And he's very excited because he thought he'd just be a nice, rich uncle that could buy his hotel back or something like that. And he figures out that that is not the case. Uh, man, they do weird shit with Christopher Lee. He looks great. Uh, you know, six foot five or whatever comes towering out of his coffin, looking really cool to the lead male actor who's five foot two. So. <laughs> Quite a bit taller than him, but they echoed his voice. So he's got, like, whenever he speaks, it's got a weird echo on it. I'm not sure what that choice was. But um, he finds a book that's about vampires, but it's in German, so he can't read it. But hey, there's a German guy at the hotel who just wants to be left alone so he could sleep. Can you figure out the ongoing joke that's going to happen with that? There's, <laughs> there's strange translation going on here. And I don't know if it's the subtitles or if it's just the way it was originally uh, written. But when he, the German guy translates some of the stuff to him of how the vampire can get taken out, you know, you get the, thank you, you get the garlic, the cross, a steak, and sun, sun, sunrise. Instead of sunrise, he says cock, like a chicken, like when the cock crows. So for like four lines in a row, he's trying to remember the things. So four, four or five lines in a row are cross, steak, garlic, cock. Cross, steak, garlic, cock. <laughs> like, all right, that's one way to take out a vampire that I haven't heard of. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of taking the uncle out, he gets bit. And the bellhop becomes a vampire. Uh, then he breaks the fourth wall and spends way too much time describing what he's going to be doing as a vampire. Then he proceeds to go through and bite damn near every woman in the movie uh, in one night. And uh, the, the catch is he doesn't remember doing this. And now they are all insanely attracted to him. Uh, so, you know, hijinks ensue. How will he deal with the popularity of the resort of the women in the resort? 
will he be a vampire forever? Will Christopher Lee ever come back to this movie? Because <laughs> he shows up, and then as soon as he bites him, he disappears. It's like, I'm free, and runs away. It's like, you're f- what? Uh, this movie came about, it's actually Christopher Lee's first appearance in any Italian film. Uh, it came about because Horror of Dracula was so successful that an Italian producer said, hey, I want to put him in a Dracula movie. There's one problem with this movie. It's almost two hours long. And it's an almost two-hour-long goofball comedy. So the comedy scenes get dragged out to the point where they're no longer funny. And the repeated jokes are done. Instead of quick in-and-out jokes, they languish in them. So although I really wanted to like this film, there's a lot to like in it. It just, just went on way too long. So that was a little disappointing, but if you're a big Christopher Lee fan, it's he's fun in it. He is such a presence, and he does come back actually quite a bit for the end. But he's such, his charisma is over the moon in this movie because he is far and away the biggest movie star on-screen personality in this film. So he's really neat to see in it. As I often like to say, I did find a gross of what it made in Italy. Hey, 385 million lira. Hmm. So about $216,000. And for some reason, when it was brought to America, they, well, I'm guessing money-wise, but they just hired some random English actor to dub Christopher Lee's voice. So I would say this box set, if you're a Christopher Lee lover, is worth getting. I don't know if this is going to be the highlight of the box for you, though. So, Uncle Was a Vampire. Available on, but I say Tubi and for rent, if you're so inclined. Okay, uh, you got about a minute left. I'm going to hit your buzzer. Yep. Hey, I heard it. I'm good. <laughs> so, um, are all the... Movies in this box set going to be like Christopher Lee makes a cameo in a film? Mm. He was in, I guess, I'd say about 20, 30 minutes of this one. So he's in a good amount. There's Dracula okay. and Son. He appears to be in a little bit more. <laughs> There's a couple. He's the lead. Like, he's got one here I'm looking forward to watching called The Secret of the Red Orca with Christopher Lee and Klaus Kinski. Oh. Whoa. Like, so I'll check that. And The Murder Story, where he plays, I think, a detective. So it's it's unique stuff. It's out of character for him, like the comedies and then police procedurals and stuff. It's not what you'd normally expect. But uh, it's Severin, so odds are good that they're going to be at least interesting. Uh, okay, well, I, if you don't mind, I will go next. Cool. I'm putting 10 minutes on the buzzer for myself. And I am talking about a movie from 1992 called Kronos. has a budget of two million dollars and a box office of worldwide six hundred and twenty one thousand three hundred and ninety two dollars but that's because it had a very limited theatrical release the Rotten Tomatoes critics give it 90% and the audience gives it 69% 
It was written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, who has 38 writing credits and 24 directing credits, including The Devil's Backbone, Blade Two, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, and The Shape of Water. Uh, starring Federico Lupi, who has 140 credits, lots of Spanish language television, but also The Devil's Backbone, Pan's <laughs> Labyrinth, uh, a movie that just came out recently called Necronomicon. Also starring Ron Perlman, who has 280 credits, including Nightmare Alley, Hellboy, Pacific Rim, Blade <laughs> 2. Uh, I just watched his first movie, Quest for Fire. It oh. did not hold up as well as I had hoped. Ah, too bad. Uh, and then also in this is Claudio Brook, who has 114 credits, including The Devil's Reign, The Bees, and Alucarda, <laughs> which might, might hmm. be a movie I have to... Check out for Fangruary. <laughs> you guys have both seen Kronos. This is a beloved film. Uh, we start out in the year 1536, where we meet an alchemist or a wizard or something. He has developed a mechanism that gives eternal life. It is this bizarre mechanical scarab or beetle type thing. Uh, and then we flash forward to 1937 when an old building collapses and they find this very same wizard in the rubble who's been killed by a wooden beam that had fallen and pierced his chest. He looks very, very old. But as I watched it this time again, I realized he doesn't look very old. His skin looks like uh, marble underneath. Oh, wow. So, and then we come to present day or actually the future for some reason. The movie is shot in 92, but it takes place in 1996 for some reason, which I thought was weird. Um, but we meet our protagonist there, then Jesus Gris and his little granddaughter. Jesus is an antique dealer. And when he is looking at the base of one of the statues in his shop, he sees that it is hollow. And a little bit of investigating reveals the scarab. Uh, the mechanism suddenly unfurls and the insect-like legs latch onto him and pierce his skin and then a needle is inserted into his skin. This is a really, really cool scene because um, Guillermo takes us inside the scarab. So there's all these big, huge gears and everything. It took me a minute to figure out what we were watching, but we're inside the scarab. You see these gears start moving and everything. And then this weird little insect that is kind of a part of the mechanism is what is secreting the solution that goes into Jesus. Uh, he is, as you might imagine, a little bothered that the thing is latched onto him. <laughs> but soon enough, he discovers that he is de-aging. His wrinkles are smoothing out, his hair is thickening, and all of a sudden, he's interested in sex again. This is all great news, except for he has also developed a rather strange craving for blood. Uh, he's initially disgusted by this, but soon gives in, uh, wringing all of the blood out of a slab of fresh meat in their refrigerator. And he's hiding these changes from his wife, but his granddaughter is noticing all of the things that he's doing, and she is a little bothered. Meanwhile, there is a rich, dying businessman who has been searching all his life for this mechanism. And he gets a tip off that the statue it's supposed to be hidden in is in Jesus's antique store. When we see this guy, he's got just tons of this same statue that have been broken. And he's he knows that it's supposed to be in one of these statues. So he sends um, his thuggish American nephew, Angel, or Angel, Angel, to purchase the statue at the shop. But when he gets there, Angel sees that the statue is empty. Jesus and his wife go to a New Year's Eve party, and while they're there, Jesus sees a man get a bloody nose all of a sudden, and uh, the guy's holding the tissue up to his nose and staggering to the bathroom, and uh, of course, Jesus is drawn towards him and uh, heads towards the bathroom to see if he can get any of the blood. Uh, and he can in a pretty demeaning scene where uh, it shows how badly he needs it because the man has left and uh, there is some blood on the bathroom floor and he gets down on his hands and knees and starts licking the blood off of the bathroom floor. But then someone walks in and kicks him in the face, knocks him out. Oh, Jesus. Well, it turns out that man was on hell and he wants to know where the mechanism is, not realizing that Jesus has it attached to himself right now. So Angel beats Jesus up and then um, puts him in a car and sends him over a cliff where Jesus supposedly dies. Except he later wakes up in the Undertaker's home and escapes before he can be cremated. 
this is also where Jesus realizes that his body is uh, going to burn if he is in direct sunlight. So he has to deal with that now. Uh, the rest of the movie follows Jesus as he tries to avoid giving the scarab to Angel and his boss, even as his body is undergoing a ton of new changes. And I don't really want to give too much more away about this film because it is really, really good. And if you haven't seen it, it is available on HBO Max. So watch it while you can. There is a scene towards the end where this is where I was able to kind of put together the marble looking thing where um, Jesus's body is starting to deteriorate and he's having to like kind of keep his flesh on him but when it falls off you can see he's got the same marbling skin that the wizard had at the beginning so that's what is going on to him uh, i've got some trivia this is wild because this is director guillermo del toro's feature film debut it is so good and it's the first feature he made in an interview included on the Criterion collection of this movie, Ron Perlman talks about how Angel was meant to speak Spanish fluently. Uh, Ron Perlman tried this, but Guillermo del Toro found his reading to be completely unusable. So the character was changed to an expatriated American who so hates being in Mexico that what little Spanish he speaks is deliberately spoken poorly. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, all of the original Kronos devices used for this film were stolen when production was completed. They were never recorded, or they were never uh, recovered. So the Kronos devices that Guillermo del Toro owns are exact replicas from the original molds, which uh, art designer Maria Figueroa still had. No. The film went over budget from the original 1.5 million to 2 million, the highest budget for a Mexican movie at the time. Uh, Guillermo got he got the half million dollars through loans and bank debts by himself. In order to complete the film, changes had to be made. Among those changes were Ron Perlman, who agreed to a heavy salary cut. And Perlman and Del Toro have been good friends ever since, working together frequently. The role of Jesus Gris was originally written for Max von Sydow. That would have worked also, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Juan Carlos Colombo, who was the funeral director in this, and Daniel Jimenez Cacho, who played Tito in this, reprised their roles in We Are What We Are in 2010, huh. which I did not realize. <laughs> oh, that's cool. It makes me want to watch that again. And then uh, finally, some explicit nudity was added into the U.S. video release. While the primary American theatrical version contains a prologue and patches of dialogue in English, and a secondary market version was entirely in Spanish. I've got one review for this, and uh, this is what I'm saying. Eric, be the third review on that movie that nobody had reviewed. You know, Because okay. people like to say horrible things, but yes. they never say when they like something. So... This review, this reviewer, Rotini 5258618, I'm going to publicly shame you. Uh, they gave this a movie, they gave this movie one out of 10 with the, um, the tagline of their review as poop. And oh, Lord. This is the same, this is the entirety of the review. English, please. Not very entertaining. I tried, couldn't do it. Wow. I wonder yeah, where they guy. were January 6th. <laughs> the same reviewer gave the movie Dark Water with Jennifer Connelly a 10 out of 10 stars. So I think we know what's going on with this person. Wow. wow. Stupid. Dude. Um, that was my movie, Kronos. Uh, my buzzer is just about to go off, so I'm going to buzz it myself. <laughs> Vanessa. How about yes. you go? All right. I guess it's my turn. So um, I uh, went with a film that had been recommended to me by uh, my lovely husband over and over again. And I had continued to ignore. Oh, my God, a cat. <laughs> um, sorry. If you're watching the YouTube version of this, a cat just jumped on Eric and left yep. very quickly. Very good. How he does it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Hey, movie um, was from 2009, the South Korean horror, horror film Thirst.
death, 3.31 p.m. From the nodding, you both have seen. Yes. I have uh, not seen this, but I own this, and I should probably watch no. it sometime. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Well, um, I will try my best to make this interesting and not just give it away. I don't know that I could give it away if I tried. Um, Rotten Tomato score of 81% from critics and 75% from the audience. So pretty high. Budget, I was having a hard time finding the budget, and then when I Googled it, it came up as $5 million in a bunch of places, so I'm just going to go with that. Box office of $13 million. Um, it was written, produced, and directed by Park Chan-wook. Uh, 22 credits to his name, Old Boy, The Handmaiden, Lady Vengeance, and most recently, Decision to Leave. That should give you a good idea of how the tone and pacing and overall mood of this film is going to be. It is starring Sung Han Ho, who has 39 credits to his name, including Memories of Murder, The Host, Parasite, and Snowpiercer. He will look very recognizable. I think he's a great choice for this role. Um, and uh, the other name that I kind of had heard of before was Kim Ok Bin. Uh, 23 credits, including a lot of TV, such as Yu Na's Street, 50 episodes, The Blade and Petal, 20 episodes, and 30 episodes of Arthrol Chronicles, um, and she's just been in uh, quite a few uh, films with some kind of bit bitter roles. The story, as much as I can uh, convey of it, a Catholic priest, Sang Hyun, uh, volunteers to participate in this experiment to find a vaccine for the deadly Emmanuel virus. <laughs> um, it's also known as EV. Although the experiment fails um, and Sang Hyun is infected with this horribly fatal disease with all kinds of like your skin gets like boils on it and your nails fall off and you start just he's playing the flute at one point and blood just starts pouring out of the flute. Um, it kills him. He dies. But um, before they properly zip him up. He suddenly comes back to life and makes a rapid recovery after receiving a blood transfusion. News of his recovery spreads and he becomes highly sought out after believers who wish um, he could cure their affliction start following him around. Uh, his services are flocked and a camp is built outside of people who are just completely obsessed with him. So very much like Catholic miracle stuff. Uh, one day, his childhood friend, Kang Hu, and uh, his family attend the church service, and Sang Huan is invited to their weekly, uh, is it Mahjong night? The, the game with the... Tiles. Tiles. Yeah. He sees Teju, Kang Wu's wife, slash adopted sister, who it appears um, is being abused by both Kang and um, his mother who lives with them. So the three are clearly in this very toxic, horrible relationship. It's very Cinderella-esque feeling with um, this girl basically doing all kinds of menial tasks for this um, unloving, uncaring, kind of gross man and um, his sort of demanding mother. So uh, Sang Juan remembers uh, her from his childhood um, because she was the adopted sister, and he feels this sort of pity as well as a spark of connection. 
Meanwhile, he relapses into his illness and finds that he needs shelter from sunlight. Weird. He starts to drink blood from a comatose patient because he can't help himself. Um, and in the hospital where he volunteers, as well as a blind priest who is just like, God brought you here for a reason. Here, drink my blood. Um, however, um, if he stops drinking the blood, his extreme strength, his vigor, his ability to basically jump off of buildings and uh, land with no problem or uh, get hit by a car and be just fine, that all seems to go away and he goes back to his sixth state. So he has to continue to drink blood. Teju and San Juan do find themselves falling for one another and they begin an affair. When she finds out about his vampire ways, uh, because he wants to be honest with her as a priest who shouldn't be with her in the first place, um, she's super repulsed. But then she changes her tune when she decides that she does want a really powerful vampire priest as her lover and at her side to maybe do um, her a few favors, such as helping her kill her husband, the gross, sickly, friend of his um he does so but it becomes very very clear that sang juan uh sorry that uh teju is using him and she's using everybody and she's a terrible liar and a terrible person and um he ends up killing her and then feeling bad and bringing her back which makes her a super vampire and now she goes out on a murderous rampage uh, including um, doing horrible things like torturing her mother-in-law. So we then spiral into this very strange situation where Sueng Huan um, starts to hallucinate um, his friend Kang returning from the dead as a sort of bloated corpse and just showing up every time they make out or every time they're in bed together. And like he's just sitting there like bloated and like blubbering out water and just kind of smiling and enjoying spending time with the two of them. and. It just becomes clear it's sort of a metaphor of like the distance that's becoming between the two lovers. Um, finally, um, saying Juan has had enough of uh, this lady and takes matters into his own hands. And I will not spoil the ending because I, honestly, there's so much happening in this film. I feel like I've barely touched upon it, but um, just a couple of thoughts about it. This film is brutal. It's fucking brutal it is a rough watch um so if you sat through old boy and you're like yeah i made it through and that was a great movie you'll be okay if you sat through old boy and you were like oh fuck that's a bit much for me do not watch this movie it goes there um it also has a very bleak bleak black humor to it it is funny but it is a dark as night as obsidian humor it is just pitch black um the girl in it is awful uh the priest is awful no one in this film is very likable um so you're not going to spend time with characters that you really feel for however it is beautifully shot it has a lot of amazing film cinematic qualities to it um it's clearly an incredible movie but it is not an enjoyable movie <laughs> so unless you're a sick fuck then you'll enjoy it um a little bit of trivia this is based on the 1867 novel by Therese Requin, um, or sorry, novel called Re Therese Requin by Emile Zola. It won the jury prize at 2009 Cannes Film Festival and nominated for the Palme d'Or. Uh, it is the first mainstream Korean film to feature full frontal male nudity. You got that going for it. Uh, the original Korean title translates to Bat. And it includes Park Chan-wook's trademark, scissors, as Taiju uses, I know, spring scissors to uh, drain some of her victim's blood. So that's my movie. Wow. Well, buzzer just about to go off. Perfect. Um, huh. This is, this is not what I thought this movie was about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you think it was about? I was for, I was under, uh, I didn't realize it was a Catholic priest. And sure. this was um, when I was first writing Widowed, the story that The Secret Language of Spiders is based on. It was going to be a, a man whose wife, uh, a priest, who's not a priest, but a minister whose wife had become a vampire. And he was going oh. to try and hide her from 
all of the the church and all of this stuff. And uh, I did some research to see if there had been anything like this. And so this movie popped up and I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that then. And I thought it was just about a minister who had a wife who was turning into a vampire. Oh, no, that is not even remotely what this film is about. Doesn't touch anywhere near that. (laughs) I kind of like the idea of the priest becoming a vampire. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of cool, too, because it starts off with him um, really being like dogmatic and critical of different people who are confessing to him things like um, suicidal ideation and uh, other other things. And then you kind of discover as you're watching this film that he has all kinds of problems. Like he also has sort of suicidal ideation and he also, you know, he's not this clean cut, perfect priest as he um, sets himself up to be. So it's just a really fun watch to kind of see him um, fall apart and and all of his veneer fade away as he becomes more and more vampiric. That's interesting. Do they deal with, um, is he repulsed by Christian imagery? Oh, um, it doesn't seem to be. No, it seems it seems like it's just fine if he's around Christian imagery because he does continue to be a priest throughout him being a vampire and just continues to, you know, do services and reside over the sick. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't it does not have the whole like, oh, no, a cross situation. So I think that's an interesting thing to explore because uh, that yeah. could definitely give you a um, a loss of faith if all of a sudden you become this unholy thing and holy things do not bother you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's never like they never, I guess maybe near the end, they're like vampire, but for a long time, they don't say it. It's just disease. It's like he got some disease and he's sick and it's almost like his sickness that he already had on his inside is now coming out on his outside. So, Uh um, yeah, there's some cool stuff going on. Well, check it I, out. I think I will have to check it out, although I am one of those people that did not enjoy Old Boy. So. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. His movies right, are well. rough sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Rough, man. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, uh, look, we got three movies that we all like this time. Yay. Fantastic. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Um, we know that we're going to continue on in Fangruary with a couple more vampire movies. At least a couple more, right, Eric? Is sure. that what we're doing? Yeah. Okay. What the hell? <laughs> it's been working well for me. <laughs> what happens after February? March? Uh, well, Marchire? Well, March? March? February? <laughs> I, I, I can't figure it out. My brain's not going to be able to do it. But imagine vampire and March coming together. Is that no, going to happen? Be- because we know that in March we do the Charles Dexter Awards. That's right. Yay! So we know that we'll be getting back to kind of our regular format here shortly. More fun than um, the Golden I'm Globes. A, Better than the Oscars. For sure. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. So uh, with that in mind, then, I guess that this is the part where we say thank you to everyone who's liking and sharing posts and who's on the discussion board on Facebook, which is Strange Eons Radio Talk. Come by. Uh, post who's things. Calling, yeah, who's calling into the <laughs> Strange Eons Radio hotline, which is 253-237-4266. Everybody who's been very kind and checking out the serialized novel of The Secret Language of Spiders. Uh, this comes out, the novel itself comes out um on its birthday, which just happens to coincide with mine, uh, which is June 25th. Let's see. Should so I we'll insert, all celebrate? Should I insert all of Steve's comments here? Hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> I got a message from somebody who watched me blush horribly through all of his gushing compliments. And she's like, you couldn't even look at the screen while he was saying those things. <laughs> yep. I noticed that, so. too. Um, but I really appreciate everybody who's taking the time to, uh, not just get involved in that serialized novel, but then when they get the novel, they post pictures and they say nice things and it's all been very heartwarming and thank you from the bottom of my heart. So, uh, that's it for this episode. 
We're coming back seven short days. We're talking vampires again, and we will see you next Thursday. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Transportation and other considerations for Strange Eons Radio produced by Pan Am Airlines. When you think of traveling, think of Pan Am. You can't beat the experience. Guests of Strange Eons Radio stay at Econo Lodge Everett. It's an easy stop on the road, if you know what we mean. Strange Eons Radio is recorded live in front of a studio audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Sit, Ubu, sit. Nobody comes out good, which is great because I feel like that's accurate to real life.